Welcome to the latest episode of the Estate Agents Podcast. I'm joined by my regular partners in crime, Stephen Brown. Good morning, Stephen. Good morning. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm very good, thank you. How about yourself? Fantastic, thank you. And uh, not forgetting Mr. Overman. How are you, Andy? Good morning. Yes, freezing cold this morning, isn't it? Winter's definitely setting in. Yeah, it is a bit chilly. We had a bit of mild weather over the weekend, but um, but let's crack on. Now, we've got one of the legends of a state agency with us today, and we're privileged to have him with us. Um, he has uh, championed within Countrywide Romans, agency mentors, helping many business owners and has lots of fingers in different pies within the estate agency world. But he is the legend that is Ian White. So good morning, Ian. Good morning, gentlemen. Thanks for having me. Pleasure, pleasure. So, um, Ian, just um, give us a bit of, obviously, I've given the uh, audience a little bit of an intro about you, but just um, give us a bit more of a background about who you are, what you've been doing and where you've come from. Uh, well, I suppose uh, most of my career was spent at Romans Estate Agents, which uh, is a, a business in the home counties, um, which we built over a period of time to be reasonably significant. Um, I moved on from there to do some work with Countrywide in five of their brands, uh, loss-making brands, you'll be surprised to hear, um, and help them to turn those into uh, profit-making brands. Um now I sort of sit and work with lots and lots of uh, independent estate agents, ranging from uh, literally one office boutique businesses up to 33 offices, um, helping them with their, their growth strategies, their culture, systems and processes, um, training and developing their people. So a, a business potentially some can come to you, maybe has growing pains, um, maybe stuck in a uh, with a problem or not, not knowing which way to turn and, and you can come and help them and, and diagnose and prescribe as to the best way forward. Is that is that what, um, what, what it's yeah, all about? Yeah, that's pretty accurate. I mean, they come into three categories, really. You've either got the businesses that need to do something um, or, or I suppose, if I'm honest with you, sell. They're, they're, they're in a pattern where they're, they're, they're unviable. So they either need to change completely um, or look for a new buyer. There are other businesses that have reached a certain growth level and find it very hard to push through to what I would call, you know, uh, exponential growth, real growth, um, whether that be profit or numbers of units or both. Um, and there are other businesses where the owners just find it a bit lonely at the top, where they've only got uh, people that, that they employ, that they pay on a monthly basis around them and find it very hard to get an honest uh, reply or response to things because everybody's beholden to them within the business. So, so my work fits into yep. one of those three categories, really rescue rescue plans, growth plans, or just there as a confidant, as a non-executive, um, a, a person to say yes, no, uh, that isn't necessarily on the payroll or totally beholden to the business. Sure. And I would imagine at the minute, uh, with the challenges that the industry faces and also with the pending tenant fee ban, um, you're, you're probably busier than ever. Uh, yes. I mean, a lot of the more progressive businesses will accept and understand that developing their teams right now in terms of physical on the ground skills are a hugely important differentiator because if the market's shrinking or fewer people are moving and there is the the online threat, the loss of revenue through the tenant fee ban that, that, that's going to come at some point. Um, 
So, so the training and development side of things is extremely busy. There are lots of businesses that are looking for advice on an exit strategy because they either have had enough or they are um, no longer viable. They, they, they need a new owner with different systems and processes to uh, reduce costs and make them viable again. So yes, that, that, that side of things is busy. And of course, the prop tech scene is um, extremely busy because you know there's a new prop tech announcement, a new startup announced You know, probably every, well, virtually every day I get something in my inbox to say, can you look at my product? Can you endorse my product? Can you can you test my product? Can you help me develop my product? Yeah, and I just wanted to jump on to uh, something that Luke said there. And throughout recording these podcasts and speaking to agents, suppliers, um, industry folk like yourselves, um, up and down the country, we're hearing really diverse and different stories about market conditions. What, what's Ian White finding as, as, as you travel the UK and, and beyond? Um, what are you hearing and what's the market uh, I telling think you? If you if, first of all, take prime central London to one side, because I think that is experiencing a very, very different um, set of issues and problems than, than everybody else. So take, take prime central London out of the way, Westminster, Mayfair, Fitzrovia, um, the real high-end stuff, because that's a very unique, very different um, set of circumstances. The rest of the UK, broadly speaking, is experiencing similar things at slightly different times and different rates. But um, in, in general, if, I, if I'm really brutally honest, although we've got various things going on in the economy, we've got things like Brexit, we've got various things around the, the ability to borrow money, we've got the government um, seemingly attacking the private rental sector, Generally speaking, um, I am seeing agents uh, growing very, very substantial market share growth, regardless of the economy. And I'm seeing some agents losing market share hand over fist, um, largely based on their culture and the quality of their people rather than any other factor. Um, so, you know, yes, th there is no doubt the market today is, is, is a little bit more normal than the boom market we've been in for what 15 almost 15 consecutive years i would imagine for most they've seen pretty much house price growth they've seen transactional volumes being either steady or in, in, in slight growth um yes we are now in a slightly more challenging market but it the outcome of that will be dictated much much more by what you do internally than external factors such as onliners um brexit mortgages but but across the UK, it's the same picture. You can go into two agents in in the same geography. One is absolutely growing market share, producing record results, um, selling more houses, doing more mortgages, doing more lets, charging more more substantial fees. Um, and, and another agent in a town next door is in complete decline, um, and 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 is talking about there being no instructions or no sales, or everybody's using the onliners. So we hear it quite a lot, Ian, um, and we've heard it throughout the, the recording of these podcasts. And it, I know it's something that yourself and Stephen with Agency Mentors believe um, very strongly in. It's a mindset thing, isn't it? It's it's changing, adapting to a challenging culture, and it's all in one's mindset. Yes, I think, you know, whatever the market is, it'll, it, you can make a market out of any market if you have the correct mindset. Um and if you're able to distill that mindset down through your 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 team of people, then you will win. 
um, if you, in, in fact, in many ways, I think it's easier for the best mindsets to make headway when the market is subdued than it is when the market is, is let's say, buoyant. Because mindset's no longer the major factor. The, the actual sheer fact that more people in the UK have moved this year makes it very easy for mediocre businesses to survive or even possibly thrive. Whereas right now, I think only the people with the right mindsets, along with other things, I think culture and having great people and having good systems and processes are all important. But if you turn up to work with the wrong mindset and your view is it's tough out there, well, you'll be right. It'll be tough out there if you turn up to work and so it doesn't matter what it's like out there. I'm going to take a bigger piece of the pie. I believe you'll also be right. Totally, totally agree. And I mean, you know, there's so many opportunities out there for agents every day and they've got to make the most of these opportunities. Yes. Um, I know you've just come back from Australia. So what was that trip all about? Uh, the primary reason for the trip was helping uh, a, a company launch, a company that's been very successful here called Yondell that deals with live web chat. Um, they they uh, we, we launched that into the Australian market because they don't have any fully managed live web chat in Australia. Um, the Australian market is very, very uh, geared up for high-end service and high-end um products and 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 they're not it's not a cost sensitive market it's not a market that wants to do things cheaply it, it it's all about adding value to the customer experience and obviously live managed web chat versus let's say a bot is a very different experience for the user um so i knew from previous trips and, and i've got uh, consulting clients in australia as well that it was a required um service there wasn't anybody competing in the space so I helped Andy and his team from Yondel um, launch uh, Yondel as a live web chat into the Australian, not just the Australian property market, if I'm honest, but um, property was about 60% of what we of what we did. Um, but uh, that, that was the purpose of the visit. And you've, I know you've been to Australia a few times and I know you've got family out there. Yes. What are the differences that you see between the Australian agents and the UK agents? Uh, if, I mean, if I, if I gave it to you in a very, very short summary, the average Australian estate agent is far superior in mindset than the average UK estate agent. Um, they they spend more time and effort uh, uh, coaching themselves or getting themselves coached and empowered with information, knowledge, skills. Uh, there is a much higher percentage of people out there that are self-employed. Therefore, it's their own business versus being an employee who see it as a way of paying the rent, whereas other people see it as a, a long-term um, uh, way of doing things. And if, if I could give the Australians credit for anything, they are simply the best salespeople on the planet. Um, they're a long way behind us in terms of prop tech. They're a long way behind us in terms of systems and processes. They are simply light years ahead of us in terms of relationships and selling and understanding that if you are only interested in the hunt and kill zone i.e a person says i want to transact today and that's when you come alive and you know they understand that if you only operate in the hunt and kill you're always going to be in a fee and price war they they win the customer two three four five years before the customer transacts um they get that on a different level to to how we operate in the uk it is it's fascinating 
Mm. I'd always imagined, um, you know, rightly or wrongly, that the uh, Australians, because they have that 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 uh, you know, superiority in terms of the the customer journey, I'd always naturally thought Ian that that um, translated into the prop tech and the advancement in, in technology as well. But um, clearly, I was wrong. Oh, it's an opinion. Um, yes, I mean, my opinion is is that they are. Um, you know, significantly behind the curve in various things. I mean, there are there is some prop tech stuff in the UK now that's doing some great things, which is which are Australian products. So, it's I'm not giving you a you know an absolute brush stroke to say that they don't have um, any prop tech out there that's any good because they've got some stuff that's quite simply brilliant. But yes, they are behind us in terms of thinking. I think some of their larger brands from the meetings I had are now understanding that and starting to move and invest significant sums that would be eye-watering for the UK guys to think about. But um, so I have no doubt they'll catch up, but I think it's a need thing. I, th- I think, I think prop prop tech is something that's come about because, um, because of the culture and lack of skill that might exist within the workforce, whereas they don't have that problem. So y- y- prop tech has arrived to solve problems about, you know, lead generation, bringing customers in, talking to customers, um, well, they just don't have that problem. Their mindset is that a customer is a customer, whether they're ready to transact or not, and they will liaise and, and give information or value to that customer at regular intervals, at relevant intervals. They'll give them relevant information. Um, so they probably haven't quite had the need for prop tech in the same way that we do because of their sales ability. Um, Let's just talk about that need for, for prop tech one moment, if we can, please, Ian. It, it seems to be taking over the industry here in the UK. So as you know, I'm not a business owner. I manage a, a successful branch here in Norfolk. And I have to say, between 15 and 20 inquiries a week requesting an hour of my time. And of course, that's just not feasible. What's the best prop tech out there? And, and you're a man that's heavily connected with prop tech. You've, you've as, as Luke alluded to, fingers in many pies. You keep your finger on the pulse. You understand prop tech. Um, what's the best tech out there and why? Um, I, I, before I tell you what the best prop tech is, because that, you know, that is a matter of opinion. Um, and, and in sure. some cases I have a vested interest. So, so for transparency, but, but I think the first thing I would say to any business owner or any senior branch manager that's looking to try and improve the, the systems and processes, the culture, the tech or whatever it is they're trying to do. I would at first look to see what are the problems in my business that I'm trying to solve. Um, I think there's an awful lot of prop tech that will get thrown at you that is is trying to find a problem that's not real. Um, so I think you can probably eliminate 90% of those calls or those emails um, desperate for your time to demo something because it's not solving a problem that either you have or, or in fact your customers have or in fact the industry has at all. They've just assumed the problem. Um, but you know, I think, I think there are three, three categories. One you have for me, lead generation. Um, how do I get more buyers, more sellers, more landlords, more tenants, um, more mortgage appointments into my diary? How do I connect with more people that might want to do business with the services that I'm offering? Um, so, you know, there, there is some good tech in that space. I think you then need to look at, uh, once those people are in my system, are there ways that I can, uh, communicate with them using technology and, and, and email and SMS and direct messaging, web chat, as, as we spoke about earlier. Is there a way I can communicate with these people 
um, in a way that keeps it very personal, but, but is but is ultimately automatic, and I can make much more communication connections on a daily basis. And then I think the third thing is: is there anything that can make my customers' life or my staff in that order easier to do business with me, or easier to work for me? Um, if you get offered prop tech that isn't in one of those three buckets, just ask yourself a really big question: Why is it, is it is it a luxury or is it a is it real? Is it solving a real problem? Because I. Um, I, I get a lot of prop tech across my desk from the perspective of would I would I endorse it or would I invest in it or would I help them develop the platform? And I probably uh, reply to, to nine out of ten to say, no, I'm not interested because it just doesn't fit one of those three buckets. Um, if I was still an estate agency owner, I would only be interested in leads, nurturing those leads and making my customers experience better than it was without the product. If it doesn't cover any of those three things forget it that's really interesting absolutely from my perspective i've just uh, i tend generally tend to write pages of notes on these podcasts so uh, i've just written lead generation customer journey or work culture assistance in systems and processes and uh, i will go back and implement that today Stephen. you'll be pleased to hear the man of implementation <laughs> about time <coughs> excuse me guys luke you've got a question i believe yeah, so um, as, as a business owner, Ian, um, we're always looking at um, trying to recruit uh, on a continuous basis, whether or not that's trying to forge relationships with uh, people in the industry, people local to us. So we can, if necessary, uh, over time, if, if a position becomes available, then we would look at then opening up a discussion. Um, and sometimes we have been knocked back, but over time, uh, an example of it is one of our star uh, colleagues. It took two to two and a half years before he joined the company, but we were persistent with that. What would you have uh, in terms of advice to any business out there in terms of their recruitment strategy and how to recruit better? Well, certainly, if you're if you're recruiting directly at the point a vacancy becomes available, that that would probably lead to weak recruitment. Um, now, obviously, it depends on the size of the business and the practicalities, but um, I, I would I would be constantly recruiting regardless whether I had a vacancy or not. Now, I don't necessarily mean that I would overstaff my business, particularly at the moment when costs might be under pressure because of various things going on. Uh, what I mean is, is I would have a substitutes bench of people that I was nurturing in the same way that you would nurture a valuation lead. Um, they would be in my database and I would keep them in touch with my record month. I would keep them in touch with if I'd taken my staff on some sort of thank you meal, I would probably send them some photographs. I would text them from time to time. I would nurture the talent pool that I felt fitted my culture um, so that if and when I had a vacancy, I wasn't going. I, I, my, my first step would be to go to my talent pool rather than to go to a recruitment mm. agent or to a job ad or, or, or a job board where, where, where you're largely picking up people that are looking for a job because they're about to get sacked. Um, yeah. In, in addition to which, I think one of the biggest things I learned when I first came out of a state agency directly and became more of a consultant to estate agents is estate agents are very confused about their culture. So most of them don't have a defined culture and therefore they don't, they've never really written down, um, they know the experience they want from the person. They know they know that the person has to have good communication skills, but they've never actually written down the personality type that fits their business. So they yeah. tend to recruit on gut instinct. 
Um, yes. And, yeah. and I, I, you know, there are competency-based interviews. There are psychometric testing. There are profiling um, your existing teams to, to, to see what good looks like. Um, if you profile your your two or three top performers or your 20 top performers or your 100 top performers, depending on how big your business is, you'll find that there is some very generic DNA that runs through them. Um, and that DNA will be very specific business to business because one, they have to conform to the culture or, or, or the direction that the business owner has or wishes to instill through their business. And of course, that's a very individual thing. Um, and, you know, there's no one right or wrong. It's just they're individual. So you've got to find people that can do the job that will fit in with the business owner and fit in with the team around them. Um, I think I think recruitment is done too much as a sort of knee jerk bums on seats type of process. Um, and as much as I, I happen to have an interest in a recruitment business, that's fantastic for the recruitment business. Um, but if people would let us work with them properly on the on their recruitment process, they they might recruit slower that they would retain much, much better people that would, that would deliver much, much better results? Yes. No, I mean, I think a lot of, uh, and my experience of a lot of estate agencies, a lot of businesses in general, is that it is a very much a panic reaction. Someone hands their notice in and it's all quick. Let's, let's ring every recruitment company that's popping advert out, out online or in, in the paper in those days. Whereas if you've got, like you suggested, this talent pool of, uh, potential new colleagues that you've been nurturing over a period of time so you've already got to know their strengths and weaknesses and sometimes people come out of that talent pool don't they because you've realized that perhaps what how they appear on social media LinkedIn Facebook Instagram or Twitter and then when you actually get to find out what they really like maybe having met them for a coffee a chat then you've realized that perhaps they don't fit what you what you're after yeah it's it's like chasing a evaluation for 5 years to find out when he finally rings up and says okay I'm ready to put it on the market he wants twice the value for half the fee they're no longer they're no longer a viable yeah. opportunity for you because you know unless you're prepared to prostitute yourself on your fee or put it on the market for 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 vanity's sake um it would be a mistake to take that client into your into your camp and it would be the same mistake to be made there may be a brilliant shiny employee that looks like they're great on the face of it um but ultimately don't fit the culture so you know i i have parted company with many many great estate agents both from the businesses that i now advise and the businesses that i've been directly uh, a, a member of the management stream not because of their ability to produce results but because they were killing the culture they were not part of the plan um you have to put culture before results if you really want a sustainable growth in your business, in my opinion. Sure, sure. And from uh, the perspective of, so when you have got that right person in front of you or who you believe is that right person, what are the kind of questions that we should be asking them in, in an interview stage? Again, that's very complicated because I think I think those questions should reflect the culture of any given business. Now, I've got three people on the line here. All of you have, have backgrounds in estate agents. Obviously, I know Stephen very well. And all of you would have very different needs. So I, th I think the questions are very specific to the... Um, to the person doing the interviewing. However, I would strongly recommend two, two things to anybody who is a recruiter um, that is responsible for their company's recruitment. 
one, avail yourself, Google, speak to our guys and get information on what I call competency-based interviewing, um, which, which, if done well, removes the gut instinct element of recruitment. And um, depending on how senior the role is, you may want to invest in psychometric testing, which is a quick sort of 20 minute test that people can take, which will give you a very, very good, very accurate insight into their personality behind their performance. Um, and it will match that personality to your brand because you'd have already gone through a, an exercise of getting what your current brand stands for through using the psychometric testing. Um so it's very, very difficult. A question that Stephen would ask. I know Stephen very well. Stephen knows me very well. We're about as opposite ends of the, ends of the personality <laughs> spectrum. Neither is, you know, it doesn't mean one's better and one's not so good. It's just we are different people. So somebody to be successful working with Stephen as their leader would be very different from the person that would potentially be successful with either me, Luke, or Andrew as their leader because we're all very different people. Um, very true. Very true. Ian? Um, at Green and Company, we had a continuous recruitment policy um, all the time. So we were always looking to see if there were people there that could add value and be better. But again, I'm going to test to see how big our audience is now. So I've got a list of 21 interview questions. So if anybody is interested in um, obtaining them, please send me an email at Stephen with a PH at sjbconsultancy.co.uk and I will happily um, send them over to you. Um, you've touched a lot on this morning company culture. Um, and Andy, I believe you've got a question for Ian on that. Yeah, Ian, um, you know, when, when we talk um, socially and across the social networks, you are clearly a firm believer in having the right company culture. So just for our listeners, what does that look like for Ian White? Uh, for me, it's a customer centric culture. If you're asking the sort of culture I would personally build. Um, now, that may surprise people because that clearly wasn't, well, not clearly, that was not Roman's uh a building block of Romans. We were a growth culture. There was no doubt that we were. We, our culture was all about growth. Um, but I believe the markets moved on. I believe certain pieces of legislation, etc., require and and just simply the advent of social media and the ability for reputations to spread, good or bad. Um, I personally would have a customer centric culture in in my mantra to to grow a business properly. Um, but one of the most common things I found when I came out of direct estate agency was was business owners saying, I cannot get my staff to do what I want them to do. Um, and it, it was down to three things. One, their leadership style. Two, the culture wasn't defined. And three, possibly in some cases, poor recruitment. So in every business that I've been involved with since, those are the three key things that I've looked at to to move on before I then put the building blocks of well, let's work out how to get more valuations, how to, you've got to build these things in the right order. Everybody wants more valuations and more instructions, but if you pile more valuation leads into a poor culture, they will just crash and burn on the waves of um, mediocrity in terms of the staff base. So um, I think the question was, what culture do I support? Customer service every time for me, customer comes first. I think, I think we're in a world where that's an absolute prerequisite for an estate agency. Um, within that, of course, you have to be profitable, you have to be dynamic, you have to do lots of other things to succeed. But I would have the customer 
absolutely at the forefront of every single system and process, recruitment policy, marketing material, transparency on my terms. Everything would be around making it easy for the customer and giving them an absolutely wow experience of whatever it was, even if it's just a viewing. Um, that would be my... So listening to... Sorry, Ian. Yeah, so listening to what you're saying, if if you were a new business startup now, or if you're in an established business and you are trying to rewrite your systems and processes, your journey, if you like, your roadmap would start with the customer journey and work backwards from there. If you take some of the corporate businesses who, who I, I won't work with, um, but have been requested to do so on many occasions. If you, if and, and the reason I won't is this because they pretend to put the customer first. But let me give you an example of of that. So let's just imagine you've got a you've got a ten office region in a big corporate that's losing money, and you ask somebody to come in and help you turn that from loss making to profit making. And in my case, you identify that the culture is not customer focused, and we need to do this, this, and this. Um, yet that business insists on the primary measurement being things like, um, did the negotiator get the client's initials? Now, I know that's important. I'm not saying that I don't want to belittle data. I don't want to belittle um, the, the accuracy of getting two telephone numbers, a postcode, an initial. But that can't come before, at the end of registering as an applicant, what would that person score us out of 10? Whereas certain businesses would would prefer, would put the technicality of the perfection of the look of the applicant card so it's got all the initials it's got the postcodes it's got lots of information on it but when you actually ask the client how did that experience go for you they say it was a 2 out of 10 it was a boring mundane form filling out exercise um i, I can't subscribe to that I, I i'm not saying i'm happy with poor data don't get me wrong but i of the two the lesser evil is to have the client saying wow that, that 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 chap's brilliant. He was he was listening. He was attentive. He he answered my questions. I would definitely want to talk to him again, as opposed to getting. He wasn't interested. He was in a hurry, but the business scoring him a ten out of ten because he got some data down. Um, that's just an example of a business that might pretend to be customer focused, but actually, when it starts doing its measurement, it doesn't measure anything or reward anything to do with customer service. No, and and I think. That's uh, absolute gold for our listeners because I think you've you've highlighted it there. We sometimes get caught up with um, trying to tick so many boxes on our CRM system or uh, applicant cards or iPads where we actually forget let's have a a decent conversation where we wow that customer um, and give them that uh, six-star service. And it's understanding what six-star service looks like for everyone um, and for your customers, but um, but then so that they do go away and score you a 10 out of 10 rather than, oh, well, they took all my details, but I don't feel like I've come out of it with anything. So, um, but no, that's, uh, I think if anyone listening today, if they take that one piece of advice, then they'll instantly be able to improve their business there. So, um, Ian, it's been great having you. Um, really appreciate your time. I know time is precious and uh, the morning is now getting on. So thank you very much for your time this morning. And thank you to Stephen and thank you to Andy as, as normal. So um, please keep tuned and subscribe. SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify. You can find our podcast there. 
please rate us um, five stars if you've enjoyed it. Um, if you haven't enjoyed it, um, then please uh, then please send in an email instead. Um, <laughs> And not me, Stephen and Andy. Um, but really appreciate your attention today. And uh, thank you very much. So uh, have a good morning, guys.